It is a privilege to be with you. I so appreciate this fellowship. And again, it's, uh, it's hard uh, following Pastor Xavier. He's such a great teacher. And I, I know that you are not only have been physically fed, but you are spiritually fed by attending that church. And so I count it a privilege to be able to share with you this evening. Um, 1 John chapter 4 this evening. Your verse that you've set aside this evening is verses 7 and 8. That's also a song. I won't sing it to you, but I know you know this song, but it's a great passage. I'm, I'm going to read down to verse 13, and I want to entitle our time together this evening, A Love for Life. God offers a love that is for life. It's a love that is surpasses any hardships any of us can never go through, any difficulties that we'll ever encounter. God's love can take us through. So 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We pray as we take a few moments and reflect upon your great love. We know that every one of us in, in our marriages have times of, of dryness, times of struggles. There are hardships. But your love is that cement that will hold us together. It's that anchor for the storm. Knowing that you love us and all that you allow in our lives goes to that grid of your love. And so I pray this evening that we be encouraged as we look at who you are. And because of who you are, that's what we can become. We can become like you. So we pray this evening that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to those that are discouraged this evening. Pray for those that are encouraged and they're doing so well that they would go beyond that and say, I, I want to be a blessing to others. I want others to experience God's love and to experience what God has done in us and through us. And so we ask all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Heard the story of a couple that were celebrating their 75th wedding anniversary. They're in their 90s, and they were part of a church fellowship, and so they decided to uh, have a reception in the church fellowship. So they invited not only their church family, but also their physical family and their friends, and they were all celebrating that evening. But near the end of the evening, uh, there, there became a, a, a chant of the crowd for the couple to get up and to share the secret of 75 years together. So finally, the husband was trying to get up there. And so he gets up. He's in his 90s, could barely walk. And he and his wife were kind of hard in hearing. So he finally just hobbles his way up to the platform. And everybody with bated breath is wanting to know what the secret of longevity of marriage was. And so he looked over at his wife in front of everyone and said, I have found you to be tried and true. But his wife couldn't hear very well. And she shouted back, I'm tired of you too. You know, it, that can happen, can it? 
You know, the statistics on marriage and divorce are not really encouraging, especially, you know, when you think about setting aside a time like Valentine's Day where we're espousing and talking about the importance of love. You know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And 74% of third marriages end in divorce. There's also another weird little phenomenon that's been going on for over the last several years. It's called the empty nest syndrome. And what it is, is couples that have been married 20 to 25 years have a very high rate of divorce. Now, think about this for a moment. Life has just begun. The kids have moved out and the dog has died. So life is beginning. And you would think after 20 to 25 years, now we can live. But what's happening is couples are getting divorced. What they have found is that during that 20 to 25 years, they have not built a life together. They've had separate interests. They've invested in the children. And they've, everything's been around the children. I've had couples in our church married 20 years that have, have said proudly, we've never taken a vacation without our children. That's not even a vacation when you have your children. So I don't even know what they're talking about. But, but they actually look at that as, as something to say, look at us. Well, I think that calls and gives us a reason as to why people are getting divorced because they're not investing in each other. hope that every one of us in this room you invested this evening, but there should be a time where we spend time together. We should like being together. We should like doing things together. I mean, it scares me. I'm starting to like bed and bath. I'm not, it scares me. I mean, it's, I'm starting to like this place. So pray for me. But... but But you know, God's love is only made possible through a new birth. To experience the love that the Bible speaks about is impossible apart from a new birth. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Bible says much about love. Matter of fact, the word love is used 650 times in the Bible. One of those key words in the Bible speaks about God's great power, the things that he can accomplish through his love. And we're talking about agape love, God's divine love. One of the things that the Bible warns against and one of the greatest enemies of, of genuine love is pseudo love, is phony love. And that, I think that's much of what we'll be seeing this next week as we refer to Valentine's. Romans 12.9 says, let love be genuine or let love be without hypocrisy now let me do a quick little background on first john it is called the general epistle meaning that it was not written to a particular locality or a particular church it's called the general epistle it simply means it's written to believers john now it is he is late 80s it is writing to third generation christians at a time in which apostasy has has slipped into the church so what John does in this letter, and this is an in-your-face letter, John writes about the truth of the real Jesus. Matter of fact, here's, a, here's a, an instance of it is 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it's in your face. You talk about you love God, but are you practicing it? Are you loving others? So the theme of 1 John is fellowship with God. There are three tests that John 
uses in different terms in different ways that he does multiple times in 1 John. And these are the three tests that John continues to give in 1 John. The first test is the moral test. The test of righteousness or obedience. The second test is the social test, which is the test of love. And then the third test is the doctrinal test, which is a genuine belief in Jesus Christ. Up to this point, as you get into chapter 4, John has already brought up love, and he's used love in three different ways. In chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, he talked about walking in love is proof of fellowship. In chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, he talked about practicing love, which is proof of sonship. But the passage we're going to look at this evening in verses 7 through 13 is love is shown in the very nature of God. So I'm going to look at these first two verses, verses 7 8. These are, this is your theme passage. And in these two verses, John starts with the proclamation of God's love. He proclaims God's love. Look at verse 7, if you have a Bible, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. I love as John begins, he refers to these believers as beloved. This is the sixth time in this book that he's referred to them as beloved. It literally means dearly loved or loved ones or those that are loved by God. Can you imagine him speaking about love saying, dear stupid Christians, you know, that are not loving, you know, that wouldn't work. So he practices what he preaches and he's talking about God's love and he reminds them right at the beginning of this test, this third test, this test on love, is that they are loved by God. God absolutely loves them. Matter of fact, he says it three times. He says it here in verse 7, he says it in verse 11, and then he says it a third time in verse 12. I find the context of this interesting. You know, when you're given a passage like this, I don't like to just jump right into it and and not give the context of it. But I want you to note verse 6. The verse prior to speaking about love is that John says these words. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of air. Now what does John mean by this as he transitions into verse 7 regarding love? The biblical love is based on biblical truth. That a genuine love is a Bible-based love. It is one that is based upon the truth of God. That's why Paul himself says in Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Now I say this because Valentine's Day is a day that is set aside to espouse and to speak about love, but it is often a day filled with error. I think most of the love that we see promoted during Valentine's Day would be under the Greek word eros, by which we get our English word erotic. That's, that's the type of love that I think is espoused on Valentine's Day. Or, or if it's not that, it's phileo love, which is brotherly love, uh, affectionate or having affections towards others. But the love that he speaks about here is called agape love. John loves this term. He uses it 28 times in these five chapters. It's one of his favorite words is God's agape love. Let me define this word for you. I know you've heard this before. 
but it is a love from God. It's an unconditional love. It's a divine love. It's a, on a spiritual plane. It's experienced only by believers. A love not based upon performance, excellence, or of true worth, but a love that is based upon deliberate choice, made without assignable cause, except that which lies in the very nature of God himself. It's loving the unlovable. It's loving for no human apparent reason. The only explanation is, it's because it's the love of God. It's the love that God has for us. It's the love that God has given to us that we can love the unlovable. So it's an important word. It's a supernatural word. Notice, for love is from God. It's also interesting to note in these verses before us that the Trinity it models love to us. In verses 7 and 8, it's God the Father that models his love. In verses 9 through 11, it's Jesus Christ who models this love. And then in verses 12 and 13, it is the Holy Spirit that models this love. So all three persons of the Godhead model love. There's no lack of direction. There's no lack of example. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit that all model before us what God's love is. And so he says, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God. They are born of God the Father and knows God. This word knows is a continuance of progression knowledge. It's, it's progressive knowing. It's like you're knowing more, you're learning more, you're observing more, you're experiencing more. So this love from God and this knowledge of God is an ever-increasing knowledge of God. Verse 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So again, never at any time have they known God. I don't know what it is. As a pastor, I'm sure Xavier would agree with this and Henry and the rest of the pastors would. It's always weird. On an evening like this, I'm sure right now there is someone going, I'm sure I'm happy I brought my spouse. I'm like so happy. They need to hear this. And I don't know what it is. Somehow we always think that the message and the word is for somebody else. Especially if it's a word where you're getting your face ripped off. Thank God my mother-in-law's here. She needs to hear this. This is for her. Like if I was going to say to you tonight, I don't have a perfect marriage. I've never put on the act as if I have a perfect marriage. I've never, ever said that. But I want to report to you tonight, my wife Debbie's doing a lot better. I just want you to know that. See, that would be an example of that. As if I don't need help, but she does. We could live happily ever after if she was doing better. But you see, what he's saying here, and, and, and don't miss this here in verses 7 and 8. A stranger to love is a stranger to God. That's what he's saying. He said, well, I don't like to hear it that way. But, but that's, that's what he's saying. You know, one of the things I like about Christmas is some of the nastiest people are nice at Christmas. Have you ever noticed this? Some of the most obnoxious people are nice. Even if it's for two days, it's better than nothing, right? They just happen to be nice during that time of year. And we like to think that if someone is nice or they're nice a few days out of the week, they must have a relationship with God and they must know God. Not necessarily so. It's not necessarily so. What John is saying here is he's talking about a continuance. He's talking about habitual loving. Someone that does not habitually love is someone that is a stranger to God. Are there a stranger to the fellowship with God? They don't have that closeness with God. 
Verse 8, this is a paraphrase of verse 8. This is interesting. The person who does not have this divine kind of love has never entered into a personal, experiential knowledge of God. What he knows is in his head, but it has never gotten into his heart. It's another way of saying that. God is love. God, eternal and essential nature, is that of love. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. Now, when it says God is love, it does not mean that love is God. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is God defines love. Now, bear with me for a moment as I define what it means when it says that God is love. Who God is in his very nature... Whatever God does is always an activity of his love and an expression of his nature. God creates in love. God rules in love. God judges in love. It is impossible for God to do anything but that which is loving because God is love. Now, why is that important? It's extremely important. Let me tell you why. Every one of us in this room are going to go through hardships. Every one of us in this room are going to go through difficulties. There are going to be times you're saying, why in the world did I marry this person? Why in the world have I been sticking this thing out? And we're going to go through periods like that. And we're going to think maybe God made a mistake. Maybe I made a mistake. And you're going to think those thoughts. And this is why we have to have an understanding of the doctrine that God is love. Because it's going to be tested. For example, 22 months ago, we were tested in this area. My wife wasn't feeling good, so we took her to the hospital and came to find out she had stage 4 cancer. Now, that was a a real shock to us. And I can't tell you how much that hurt to hear that diagnosis because back in 2003, my wife of 24 years died of cancer. So now my wife um, now has come down with stage 4 cancer. My daughter said to me, she goes, boy, Dad, you really know how to pick them. And I said, well, there's another way of looking at them. I sure don't know how to mess them up. It would be another way of looking at it. And so she came down with this. And so I can tell you, through this whole process, I never doubted God's love. I never doubted that God was on the throne and God was in control. I didn't understand what God was doing. But I didn't doubt that the Lord was on the throne. And God has been so good. You know, it's just been two months now. She just finished a year and a half of chemo. It was every other week. She had eight PET scans and CAT scans, and there's zero trace of cancer. So we are are excited. So this, you know, we just celebrate our anniversary, and this Valentine's Day is very important to us. Because, again, I don't take for granted what God has done. God has been very gracious to me. I think more gracious to me than to her. And and I really believe that, that God has been so kind to us. It was A.W. Tozer who once said, it's doubtful that God can use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. But it's all part of God's love. It it filters through his love. God allows these difficulties in our lives to, to again, challenge us to understand that he is a God of love. Everything he does is through love. God loves us. He cares about us. Let me describe God's love to you real quickly. God's love is great, Ephesians 2.4. God's love is infinite, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. God's love is immutable or unchanging, James 1, 17. God's love is gracious, 1 John 4, 19. 
God's love is eternal, Jeremiah 31.3. God's love is amazing, 1 John 4.10. And God's love is giving, John 3.16. Now, what does all of this mean as we're talking about the proclamation of the God of love? What God is determines what we ought to be. In 1 John 4.17, as he is, so are we in this world. Now in verses 9 and 10 real quickly, the proof of God's love. Verse 9 says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Now when the Bible says that the love of God was manifested, it literally means to come out in the open or to unveil. So God's love is very apparent. It's, it's, it's for anyone that would have an eye to see, they could see that God, God is love. All you got to do is pick up the Bible. Pick up the first four books of the New Testament, the gospel, and you can see the God of love in living color. Again, God is love. We know love because God sent his son, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Now, first John revealed to us why God came. Why did Jesus Christ come? Well, John gives us three reasons why Jesus came. First of all, in John, um, Ch- John 3, 5, 1 John, it says to take away sins. Secondly, to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. And then thirdly, that we could live through him, 1 John 4, 9. Here's the purpose for Christ's coming. So that we might live through him. That we might be born again. That we might receive new life. That we might experience life eternal. Which is not only a quality of life, it's also a quantity of life. So Christ came that we might experience life eternal. Quality and quantity. Verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that we love God but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. You talk about a great love. The Bible teaches that God loved us when we were his enemies. Romans 5.10. Now that's love. To love an enemy, to love someone that loves you, that's easy. We had a, just mentioned at our table, we have a, a dear woman that's been in our church since I think 92 or 93. And her and I had a great relationship. I loved her. She loved me. Now, that's easy. When someone loves you and you love them, that's a great thing. But what about those that don't love you and you still love them? That's the picture here of God's love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us. And even though we were enemies of God, he died for us. God's great love is seen in God's great cost. And he sent his son... To be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means to atone or to cover or at one meant. It means to pay the cost, to pay the price. The only way it could be paid was through the sinless sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus was our mercy seat, propitiation. He was the ultimate satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. Tells us in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Father to bruise. Or to sacrifice his son. Romans 5.8 says God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.8. For Christ also died for sins once and for all. The just for the unjust. In order that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh. 
but made alive in the Spirit. We are not saved by Jesus' love. We're saved by his death. And I think at Valentine's Day, we can be so sentimental. Oh, we need a biblical understanding of genuine love. That love was made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus, not just his love. It was through his death that he purchased us. But lastly here in verses 11 through 13 is the purpose of God's love. Verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, when it says that God loved us, it literally describes a point in time that God loved us in which God will love us for eternity. So there's a starting point, but there's no ending point. So God loves us. Because God loves us, we are then to love others. We also ought to love one another. I love this word ought. It's a a Greek accounting term that means a financial obligation or a debt. You and I this evening have a debt. We have a debt because of what he has done. We have a debt. And I know some Christians, they they see themselves as creditors. I think a biblical way to look at yourself is is a debtor. The church doesn't owe me anything. I owe my life to the church. And, And I know that we're living in a society in which what's in it for me? That's not biblical, folks. I can't believe that John F. Kennedy was a, was a Democrat when he said, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what can you do for your country? It's almost unbelievable to think that a Democrat would even say such words. But they did. Now they're in your back pocket all the time. They, they, they would, you can't believe they said that. But I think the church has adopted this idea that we're creditors. You know, what songs are you going to sing? What ministries you're going to offer? What activities do you have for my? Do you have a skateboard ministry? You have a golf ministry? You're not a golf course. Do uh, you have a shopping ministry? If you don't have a shopping ministry, I'm not going to this church. And it's all about what you're going to do for me. But that's that's not that's not a Christian. That's that's not biblical thinking. It's really not. That's not what it is. We are debtors, not creditors. And that's how the apostle Paul saw himself. And that's what the Lord Jesus here in this passage through John is wanting us to see. You see, the acid test of a genuine Christian is loving deeply, authentically, and increasingly. That's an authentic Christian. We're ever growing in that grace and in that love. Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. It's like the man that was talking to his friend. He says, every time my wife and I get into a fight, she is so, so historical. He says, you mean hysterical? He goes, no, historical. She keeps bringing up the past. That's what happens. Always bringing up the past. And the Bible says we're to be tender-hearted. Think of the sin that Christ forgave us. Think of the debt that we owed to Christ, a debt we could not pay. And Jesus willingly forgave it while we were yet the enemies of God. Verse 12 says, No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Oh, God is revealed. 
Psalm 19 tells us God is revealed through creation. John 5.39 says God is revealed through the Holy Scriptures. And Colossians 2.9 says God is revealed through His Son. You see, our continuous love for one another reveals we are in a genuine relationship with Jesus. Notice I said continuous. Continually loving shows that we're in a right relationship with God. For if we love one another, God abides in us. Again, he loves this word abide. He uses it six times in these verses, verses 12 through 16. The word abide means a personal fellowship with Christ. To abide in Christ means to remain in spiritual oneness with him so that no sin comes in between. Sin separates us from the Lord. Sin separates us in our marriage. When you're not walking with the Lord, the goldfish doesn't even get fed. I mean, that's what happens. Everything just trickles on down when we're not right with the Lord. Again, he says, and his love is perfected in us. What that simply means is not that we're perfect, but God is changing us. We are becoming more like him. That when someone strikes at us, we learn to be long fused. We don't strike back. When someone is nasty towards us, we don't respond in nastiness ourselves. When someone does something that is heartless and they forget about an appointment, we don't razz them and keep reminding them of their mistakes. The older we get and the more mature we become in the Lord the more we see God perfecting his love in us and through us. How many of us in this room were brought to Jesus Christ because of the love of another believer? I know I was. I was brought to the Lord back in 1975. I think it was three. I can't remember, but... No, I was older than three. But I was brought to the Lord by a a dear woman in her 80s named Mrs. Allison in Odessa, Texas. She was the widow of a pastor. You know what drew me to her? She'd make me dinner. That's what, that's what she used to do. She used to make me dinner. And I would go over to her house. I mean, I was a, I was a single guy. I couldn't even do a Costco burrito. I don't even know if Costco was around back then. But the point is, is that I couldn't do much. So she would invite me over. And, of course, she had Jimmy Swaggered on and some other people. And they, they had these guys on TV. But, and I tried to eat as fast as I could. You know, but she would have it on. And she kept inviting me to church, inviting me, inviting me. And, and it was through her that I ultimately gave my life to the Lord in 1975. It was William Barclay who once said, more people have been brought into the church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world. And more people have been driven from the church by the hardness and ugliness of so-called Christianity than all the doubts in the world. And that's true. Been turned off. Verse 13, the last verse says, by this... We know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 1 John 3, 24 says, We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The witness of the Holy Spirit revealed through our love for one another. The Holy Spirit wants to come through us. The Holy Spirit desires to live through us. And this is God's promise. With Jesus coming, we again should experience his love. If we come to know him, we should also experience his love. 
Here's a question. Can people look at us today and can they attribute the change in our life to our relationship of Jesus? When people look at us, do they know that we're a follower of God because of the way that we respond, the way that we behave? I want to close by way of application. I just want to share five closing thoughts with you. Five reasons why we should love. Five reasons. Number one, the first reason is because love is from God. We can't muster up this love, but if we're connected to God, God will give us his love. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So the first reason to love is because love is from God. Number two, the second reason to love is because God is love. If we're in a relationship with Christ, we will ooze his love. If we're in a right relationship with him, we will demonstrate his love. We can't help but do it if we're in Christ. It's just our nature. It's just our connection with him. 1 John 4 eight: the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Number three, the third reason to love is because of what God has done. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 to 11, he gave his son, he died on the cross, he was raised from the dead. Our response to God is to love him and to love others. That's, that's the response. Number four, the fourth reason to love is because God wants to reveal himself through us. 1 John 4.12, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And then number five, reasons to love because God has given the believer the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. I don't know about you. I need the Holy Spirit so desperately. There are times that I can be so nasty. You hear someone say, Pastor Terry, you are so nasty. I don't know if that's ever happened, but I know I deserve to have that said to me. I need God's love. And I bet you if I can look back at that moment, it's because I have somehow separated myself from the Lord. I was not as close to him. Because if I'm close to him, I'm going to ooze his love. If I'm nasty and I'm abrupt, there's something wrong. Something has gotten in the way. And we talk that way to each other. The home is the place we're treated the best and complain the most. It really is. Should be thanking God tonight for our spouses. Thanking God for the opportunity to minister to them. I know for me, when I got my wife, I got the best deal. She, I ripped her off. But when I married her, I mean, it was like the deal of deals. I have no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I know that that's so. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this evening. I thank you for this privilege to be able to speak about your love. And I know myself, I'm in such need of your love. I'm in such need of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, that you're such a gracious, forgiving God. That you do not treat us as we should be treated, but you're so gracious and loving towards us. I pray for those this evening, Lord, who are struggling. Those that have issues in their lives that tonight they would reach out to you. To say, the very connection of knowing the God of love will allow me to be more loving to my spouse. More loving to my children or my grandchildren. 
and even to those that I live next to and work with. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to surrender to you tonight. I want people to see Jesus in me and through me. And that can only happen if I abide in you and I'm close to you. So fill us. I pray for any here tonight that may not know Jesus Christ, that tonight that they would recognize that love is unattainable apart from a new birth. We must be born again. So I pray that we would humble ourselves tonight and get that prayer and talk with someone about receiving you because we need you. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen.